0: So we may as well start the year with a controversial question. Do we actually need Jesus? Now, I don't ask this sarcastically, I actually ask this very seriously. At the end of a long, hard day at work, you come home, why do you need to pray when it's a whole lot easier just to sit down with a bottle of wine? You know, why do you need to open the scriptures when a few hours in front of the television will make the anxiety go away? Why do you need to go through the hard work of becoming good becoming virtuous when you can just spend money to make your house look good now as i say serious questions and i want you to reflect on them because we kind of live in a situation where i mean it's a whole world that's cosmetic the whole culture we're in is basically about the surface and and the real danger is that as a church and as a christian community We're falling into the same thing. You know, that we can fall into this place where actually my salvation comes from something else. We can come here and sing beautiful songs and listen to great homilies and say that Jesus is our Savior. But I think the real question is what actually is your salvation? What's the first thing you go to after a hard day? What's the first thing you go to after you've had a conflict with someone? What's, your, what's the thing that saves you? What's the thing that gives you the hope? And it's also the question of what is the first thing that you're going to evangelize about? Because once again, I think that points to what your Savior is. All of us are natural evangelists. All of us spend our whole life promoting things. The latest song you've heard or the latest thing you watched on Netflix, best movie or best car, whatever it is. These are kind of indicators. I think these are ways of measuring where is our hope to be found? What do we find our salvation in? Our freedom from all the anxiety and pain. Now, as I said, controversial question to start the year. But it's important, I think, as we begin the year to really take stock and see well, where are we? Where do we stand? Where am I really planting myself? And what am I meant to be? I was thinking about this earlier, that really, as Christians, we are either changing the world or we are being changed by the world. There really is no middle ground. But I think that the great temptation is to believe that actually we can somehow stand neutral. You know, we can enter into this beautiful Christian bubble where everyone around me believes the same thing as me, and I can feel good about my faith, but I'm not really affecting anything out there. And the reality is, I'm actually being affected by the stuff out there. You know, and the reason why we all seem to still feel good is because probably all of us are being dragged down at the same rate. Is this actually what Christianity is meant to be? Now, this is this is the. Constant challenge I'm putting to myself, so I'm not wanting to make this a guilt trip for you. I'm speaking every humbly I give is directed at me first. Really, what it comes back to, I think, is what actually is the purpose of Jesus. You know, in this psalm, it basically says, you know, He, he heals the brokenhearted, he binds up all their wounds. This idea of, of, a, of a Christ who actually wants to have access to your pain, who actually wants to come in and start healing that place which you're trying to drown in every possible other form of, whether it's addiction or endless shopping or whatever, endless distraction and noise, that God actually wants in. You know, we can survive. We can get by by just being so busy. And even, even as Christians, we can get by by being so busy. You know, let's just do another ministry, another event, another this, another that. But my question is, how often are people who are ministering actually praying? You know, and, and this, this often really shocks me when I do ask people who are frantically busy running youth groups or even us priests, you know, frantically doing stuff. We're all avoiding the issue. You know, we can turn religion into another way of avoidance of the pain. This first reading from Job, if, it's been a, if you've never read Job or if it's been a long time, go back and read Job. I think this really sums up what is under the surface. you know, lying in bed, I wonder, when will it be day? Risen, I think, how slowly evening comes. Restlessly, I fret till twilight falls. Swifter than a weaver's shuttle, my days have passed and vanished, leaving no hope behind. Now, rarely would anyone actually speak that out loudly. But I dare say, it's it's in those moments when you maybe are sitting by yourself with a bottle of wine next to you. That's what's ticking away under the surface. You know, or when you're trying to avoid going to bed at night and just watching more and more television. It's this restlessness of the soul. Can God do anything about that? Can Jesus actually meet that? Now, I would say we find ourselves in a situation where we've got two options. We either walk away or we go deeper. I don't think we should sit in that half-hearted place any longer. You know, that place where we are professing ourselves to be Christians but finding our hope in everything else in the world. I think we've, we've got to have the courage to actually jump in, we've got to have the courage to actually immerse ourselves and say, well, maybe instead of going through the normal habit and coming home and turning on the television, maybe I should just go sit outside for 15 minutes and read the scriptures and see what that does. Or maybe instead of going straight to the fridge to console myself, maybe I should actually go and pray for a little bit and just express some of that emotion to God. I think this is where the challenge of renewal really begins for the church. We need to have the courage to meet the God who meets us in our pain. But to realise that we can't actually be Christians until we do that. You know, because the church is adamant that to be a Christian is to be on mission. If we're not on mission then we're we're not quite fully there yet. But we can't be on mission unless we are convinced that we've actually got something to bring. And I think this is where we fall into the trap. Because if we find our hope in these endless distractions, you know, plastering over the cracks, the danger is that we can look at everyone around us and fall into the same trap of just looking at the facade and thinking, well, their house is better than our house, so they don't need Jesus. Or their family looks better than our family does. They seem to have less arguments, so why do they need to know about the gospel? But it's also a real question of why as well. I think when you come to evangelization, as with a lot of stuff in our, in our faith, it's driven by this horrible word which is should. I evangelise because I should. I pray because I should. Do you ever do that? So often I have people say like, I'm trying to pray, but I just haven't got time. When was the last time you said, I'm trying to eat, but I haven't got time? or I'm trying to breathe, but I haven't got time. (laughs) There are things that you do because you know that you will not survive without it. And there are things you do because it's a duty and someone told you to. You know, prayer very often comes under that category. Evangelization definitely comes under that category. You know, and so we might see someone who's very much in need, but we're like, oh, I'm too busy right now. Maybe someone else can help them. I'll just say a prayer for them. Once again, if we, if we, at the beginning of the year, I think we need to stop and say, what is our why? You know, why are we even here? Why do we even care? Why is it our problem? Because I think at some point it has to become something personal. Yeah, if you look at the story of the the good samaritan, guy has been beaten up on the side of the road, clearly in need. 3 people walk past. Only one of them responds. Two of them are basing their life on should. The priest and the levite. I should help him because that's a good thing to do, but I should also get to the temple because I've got an appointment. I should help him, but actually I should also be caring for myself because I've been working too much recently and self-care is important. Whereas the Samaritan was different. The Samaritan was a guy who had come from a race of people who forever were being beaten up and despised and hated and rejected. And so he looks at a guy who's been beaten up and despised and rejected and hated and he sees himself. This now becomes personal. I'm caring for you because I know your pain. I know it inside out, and so I'm going to, I don't care what my appointments are, forget the diary, I'm, I'm all in. So once again, it's that question of what is our why? I think what, the, what these readings are really calling us to is, have we understood our own pain or, or are we running from it? Because you know, if, if I'm constantly running away from it and denying it and just saying, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to find my salvation by just numbing it and hiding away from it. I can never feel connected to anyone else who's hurting. it. If I'm not aware of my own weakness and my own sin and my own brokenness, I'm never going to have my heart torn open when I see somebody else in pain. I'm probably just going to try and help them numb it and walk away from it. So, I think for us to be Christians, we've got to come back to this place of honesty. We've got to come back to this place where we're able to face our mess head on and test out to see whether Jesus has got anything to help us with. You know, to actually go deeper, to actually immerse ourselves back deeply into prayer, into the scriptures, and actually find whether this idea of him being a savior has any credit to it. Only then will we have the motivation to try and reach out to somebody else, because I'll know that this works. Because the reality is, every day you are working next to people who, whether they're aware of it or not, their soul is crying out these same words of Job. You know, this, this endless agony of their spirit, and yes, they've got a bigger house than yours and they've probably got a boat and they've probably got European holidays. But that's even greater evidence of the disturbance of their soul. You know, because they're running, they're hiding, they're numbing themselves. They need to know the word of life. God has got no one else except us. That's the basic reality. And I think he wants us to be renewed. And I think he wants to start to do a miracle amongst us. You know, last year we planted this orange tree in the back of our garden, part of our grand plan to try and turn it from a desert wasteland into a green oasis. It's going to take a few years. But as always, we kind of applied our usual gardening principle, which is survival of the fittest, and the frost kind of killed it. And so by the end of winter, I said to one of the brothers, look, it's dead. Pull it out. And as he was about to wield the shovel and dispatch it from this earth, he noticed this tiny little bit of green at the bottom, and when he got down on his knees and looked at it, he, he realized it's actually alive. It's fighting, and he came back to me saying, "It's not dead. It's alive." And so, what we've just watered it endlessly ever since, and it is now looking strong. Okay, that's the church. That's us as a community. That's what God has wanted to do. You know, doesn't matter where we are now. It's about the fact that. The spirit is still kicking within us. The spirit is still wanting to do stuff. And what is going to come from that regrowth is better than what was there originally. We've got to water it. We've got to pray for this outpouring of the spirit and and actually do it seriously. You know, I was saying to one of my friends last year, saying, look, I'm, I'm just sick of playing church. I'm sick of this thing where we come together and we just talk Christian language and we have nice good fellowship but it's completely superficial conversation and we run outreaches to people who are already being outreached to and no one's actually being evangelised because we're just stuck in this little bubble like let's actually do it seriously let's, let's start drawing people in who have never heard the name of Jesus except uses as a swear word you know let, let's start reaching out to people who have never stepped inside a church before And I think what we're going to find is it's absolutely, utterly terrifying because it's going to challenge us because we won't know the answers to their questions. They're going to be more passionate about the scriptures than we are. It's going to challenge us. We've got to get beyond that bubble. We've got to go outside of it for our sake because that's, that's what's going to bring life back to this plant. That's what's going to bring life back to the church. So we've got to pray for this grace. We've got to pray for a really solid outpouring of the Spirit. so I want us to pray for that now I think the music ministry is going to play us something instead of the usual intercession time let's make this our intercession basically for the whole year for, the, for an outpouring of the spirit and that God would just disturb us that God would stir us up in a really uncomfortable way that he'd, he'd get us to change our habits, change the way we live our lives change the way we pray change the way we talk to each other to go deeper So we can actually start to let this life of the Spirit come within us.